Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hello and welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What up? People, it has been a uh, very interesting week in the true crime world. Samuel Little, this case continues to develop and get wilder and wilder. It first took a, a leap in, in insanity when he decided he wanted to help the investigation by drawing his uh, victims through memory. Uh, you know, these crude doodles that he would use. It turns out that those have been kind of effective in helping to identify uh, Jane Doe's that were uh, previous murder victims of his. It is now confirmed that he has been linked to more than 60 deaths. Damn. This guy was not joking around. Uh, I feel like when he came out to, to, to confess to what he says he you know when everybody kind of thought maybe he was lying i was one of them I, I was like this sounds insane i think he said something like 90 so it could it could keep going for all i know so this this dude has and it's the map of where it's like all over the country he was just it was like a murder it was like a it was a murder spree i mean he was hopping in cars driving state mm-hmm. to state he it's not just one state so uh, he's covered a lot of ground in his lifetime of horrible, disgusting, fucked up murders. On top of that, there's been a suspect picked up in Detroit. I'm not going to say his name because the um, the media is just saying he's a person of interest right now. But it's, it is believed that Detroit has been experiencing uh, a serial killer and rapist, serial killer and rapist on the east side of Detroit. Three women have been all connected to have been killed the same way. They were sex workers over the age of 50. And they were all found in abandoned buildings on the east side of Detroit. Um, very, it sounds very similar to the Grim Sleeper case. Like I said, I'm not going to say the guy's name because he's just a person of interest as of now. He's mm-hmm. not. They're not saying he's. They believe he is the killer. So I'm not going to go spreading that until it's confirmed that he is co- believed to be responsible. But um, I, I believe that the amount of bodies that they or the amount of murders that have happened in in the east side of Detroit to women is higher than three, but these three were all strangulations found in abandoned buildings, so they linked all them, and then the Detroit Police Department finally decided to come out and say they believe there's a serial killer out. That's when you really know it's reached the height to... So that means there's more than three women that this person's responsible for, most likely, but three, and they're all linked, and, uh, you know, and that's when the police have to... All of them strangulation? Of, 
Yeah, <clears throat> and oh, all of them were found in abandoned buildings. Hmm. So, and again, it's the same kind of problem with these inner cities all across the country. Baltimore has the same problem. It's just, it's designed for these kind of problems. You talk about these high policing areas, but they're only policing specific crimes. You know, you know, drug drug charges, weapons charges, all this kind of stuff. So other than that, you can kind of fly under the radar if you're, you know, uh, deep enough in these neighborhoods, these really uh, abandoned neighborhoods with all these abandoned buildings, boarded up housing. You can really, it, it really is, if you are a sick fuck, it, it's a playground. You got people wandering the streets, strung out on drugs all hours of the night, sex workers willing to do anything to get a fix. You, they'll hop in your car, you can take them t- under a bridge, and they're just... You know, so caught up in their addiction, they're mm. just trying to get the money, and now you you know you find yourself in a predicament you can't get yourself out of. Shout out to Pam from the Grim Sleeper documentary. She she told it like it is, and, mm. and was like, I I jumped out that fucking car. He's not, you know, I I told him let me let me the fuck out. Mm. So you know, I, I you know, I always give my props to Pam because she was a woman lost in her addiction and and all those things. She kept her wits about her and was like fuck this i don't this doesn't this guy i get a weird vibe from this guy and she was able to escape but i see a lot of similarities in the in the grim sleeper case in whatever is going on in detroit where you're talking about sex workers just kind of being you find a sex worker in an abandoned building you go she probably overdosed and then you don't get to the autopsy until a month later and then you find out, oh, she was strangled. Yeah, you know, you just kind of, uh, you just kind of chalk it up to a hazard of what they were doing on the street, mm. as opposed to this might be something sinister that happened. You don't treat them like a human; you treat them like, oh, well, they were a prostitute or whatever, and so they died in some kind of prostitute way. Like, well, it's different if you if you see it every day, though. <clears throat> For sure, I, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I I understand the you know you get inundated with you know you've seen you've seen this story a thousand times sex worker overdoses in a building or something like that and you go up that's just another one i guess Mm -hmm. but then somebody's got to answer to it when uh it's five five women three to five women are they're strangled and you know there's a serial killer possibly just killing women and you go oh we thought that those women because they didn't get to the autopsy until recently the the women they, it's not like when they found these three women that they're talking about, they didn't immediately, uh, you know, do the autopsy and see if it was foul play. They just kind of chalked it. They assumed. Right. And then they got to it a month later and they go, oh, wow, no, this was, this. They, she was murdered. Mm. So um, I want to continue to keep an eye on what's going on in Detroit because that's pretty nuts. And the Samuel Little case, again, it just continues to take turns. This dude is really, like, I mean, you know, he's I'm, being I'm very more, helpful. I'm more impressive on his memory is what I'm impressed about. Yeah, he's 79. 79 years old, and he, I don't know, had a change of heart or wants to be famous, infamous. I don't know, but he's very—he's being very cooperative. He's, he's, he's drawing the women. He's kind of doing his best to kind of picture where he was and kind of put him in the vicinity. He draws the women and then goes, I think this was in, like, you know, Massachusetts. That's crazy. Uh, she had, uh, you know, brown hair. You know, I mean, he really is. And I don't know if it, he just wants the attention, if he wants to be known for this before he leaves this planet but he i mean he's he's helping he's helping to you know solve this case for you know for better or for worse whatever that is you know you know what i'm sorry i don't want this to drag on too long but i saw an article right it wasn't in this country but it's an article that says it's uh the room for graveyards is running low so now at some point you have to pay money 
like a ground fee or a rent mm-hmm. to keep your loved ones in the ground. If not, they push them down further and they put new people on top of them. That's not what you said. Close. <laughs> Is it close? They're yeah. still in the ground. You still got to pay money to keep a body in the ground. But listen, you're... And we don't want this to drag on, but I just want to really put a cap on this because I want people to understand what he said because the people that have come to your defense have been saying things, and what you just said, I agree with. We are probably running out of space as far as these graveyards mm-hmm. are concerned. And pe- putting people on top, that's a business, finding a way to... It's a gold mine, Exactly. Man. What you said was they fake put the people in the ground and then take them out of the ground yeah. so there's nobody in the graveyards. Mm. I've heard people say, "Oh, look at this article about uh, a morgue I'm saying, where there's bodies no, all in the morgue." I was it's, saying that's not what he said. No, people, I was saying they keep the them morgue. in there. They in there for uh, whatever time amount, and then they take them out. Yeah, and then they put a new body in there. Uh huh. What I'm saying. It's money. It's all about the money. Just like when you pay, you pay. They got people paying for spots when they ain't even dead yet. Yeah, listen. That's wow. I agree with you that the funeral industry is ra- is raking people over the coals and taking their money hand over fist when they're in the most vulnerable situation. I need to make. A I cannot calls. agree with you that there aren't bodies in graveyards. I need to get in that business because they they making funds. But you gotta people be comfortable. You gotta yet. be comfortable being around the dead bodies. I ain't probably been. I've been around dead body before. You, you have you embalmed one? You know, like you've been right up on it, or you want to be just the 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 cash cow to open up the funeral yeah. business and let the people yeah. get a crew in there. Yeah. yeah, I don't need to. Why, why do you, you get know, my hands money, dirty? Money anymore? to be made, man. It's money to be made, for sure. That's definitely a business to jump into. We can talk about that off air. Um, what we're going <laughs> to do is we're going to go half on the funeral business. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to jump into these good vibes and try to, you know, spread some positivity where we can. All right, welcome to another segment of Good Vibes. You know, we're trying to spread a little positivity, a little warmth in the world. Fran, I'm going to go first and switch it up if you don't mind. Okay. Okay, so this week, my Good Vibes segment, first of all, I want to say my real Good Vibes segment is that video of the little kid with his dad uh, having a conversation on the couch. I don't know if you saw that. It blew the internet up over the last couple of days. It's black dad, and he's talking Oh, yeah, yeah, I seen that. Adorable. Mm-hmm. That guy was on CNN recently. I expect to see him on Ellen DeGeneres within the next five days, or I'll be really very disappointed in Ellen mm-hmm. DeGeneres. It's, it is, I think it's the second most retweeted video ever on Twitter now, mm. at this point. That that fast. It is, it is the most heartwarming thing and hilarious thing the kid the kid's like it's like yeah no that's crazy right i would have did it like this but they did it like that yeah yeah no that's wild it's pretty nuts and it's super adorable but my good vibes that i selected this week is the story of this 14 year old kid who made so many cupcakes and sold them that he was able to take his whole family to disney world so uh so the local story uh is the story about uh this 14 year old boy who uh, has been serving baked goods to the people of Madison, Minnesota, ever since he made his first batch of cupcakes with his grandma two years ago. Minnesota. Minnesota, man. You know, hey, there's a market out here in these small towns. You just do something that nobody else is doing and flip the game on his head. So check, and I'll explain that further. That'll make more, that'll make more sense in a second. Mm-hmm. So coincidentally, Isaiah embraced his new hobby just as the town bakery closed up shop making him the only homemade baked goods source for 30 miles in any direction. Mm. So he, his town is so small that they had one bakery, and then that bakery closed, and he just sw- he just swept right in there. Swept. He swooped right in there and, and filled that void, uh. and now he cornered the cupcake market and, and fucking 
Madison, Minnesota, and the surrounding counties. Mm-hmm. Thirty miles in any direction. If you want baked goods fresh, you kind you got to come see my boy. Uh, what's his name? Uh, mm, Isaiah. Isaiah Tuckett. You got to come see Isaiah Tuckett if you want fresh baked goods in in, in Madison, Minnesota. Mm. Period. Uh, so um, yeah. So the bakery closed up shop. So he had the lock on the cupcake game. Uh, with his little business booming, little that was disrespectful. With his business booming, and that's, you know, I'm not, gonna dis- I'm not gonna disrespect an entrepreneur like that. Little, with his business booming, Isaiah resolved to start saving his earnings for a very special new goal. He wanted to take his family to Disney World. Isaiah had always wanted to go to Disney World, which I highly recommend. is very great time in Disney World. To the adults out there, don't think Disney World is not for you. Every October, they have the Food and Wine Festival. You can get fucked up in like 30 different countries. It is a great time, and the rides are even more fun when you got a little bit of wine in your system. Anyway, uh, so he had always wanted to go to Disney World, and in just one short year of baking cupcakes, Isaiah had saved up enough money to pay for the Disney World tickets, airfare, and hotel rooms for his mom, dad, sister, brother, sister-in-law, and nephew. How much? About $4,500 in total. And you got to go to Disney World. Now, maybe he maybe he put that on them. Like, y'all got to buy your own um, yeah. uh, Mickey Mouse ears and, and churros, mm. but I'll get you there. So he that's how much he had to pay for, $4,500? Yeah, roughly. Damn. I mean, I I would, I would that's probably a little bit more than that. But yeah, about $4,500. Um, mm. From Minnesota to... I would assume Florida. That's where Disney World is, is in Florida, yeah. um, Orlando. And then the tickets to get entry, depending on the parks you go to. It's a whole, they got a whole system down there in Disney World. I haven't been there since I was five. So oh, my God, man. You got to uh, you gotta get the full Disney experience. So you get the full Disney experience. They pick you up from the airport mm-hmm. on Disney bus. You got your little bracelet on. Mm-hmm. You scan the thing. It's the whole mad. There's people dressed up in costume. They get you on the Disney specific buses. Yeah, and they just I've do, done all that. Oh my God. But if you've done it in 20, you haven't done it in I haven't done 2000s. It in a long time. They got us all electronic and the bracelets scan and beep and do all kinds of, oh, the, they beep? the money, the, the money's on, the money's on the bracelets and there's, oh, okay. there's no, you don't have to do anything. It's all in the bracelet. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, man. Um, anyway, uh, Isaiah told local news that he was surprised he managed to reach his goal in just a year. He now plans on saving up his cupcake earnings so he can buy a new truck when he turns 16. After that, he plans to attend culinary school. So I just want to give a shout out to Isaiah. Uh, keep chefing those cupcakes up. I put him up there in the echelons, you know, with with uh, my boy who uh, knits um all kinds of scarves and, and cowls and all oh, kinds of yeah. things. That kid's a little younger and, and his social media presence is amazing. I would suggest Isaiah come up with some kind of clever nickname about cupcakes, get an Instagram popping and, and really flourish in this uh, present media space because the internet is the wild, wild west and there's a lot of money to be made. Start, you know, getting orders online, really take your business to the next level, my guy. You know, um, so I really shout out to any of these young kids able to. Can you imagine being 14 and making forty five hundred dollars in a year? Yeah, that's I mean, that's uh, the, the space is wide open for these kids, man. You get a good idea. You make a fucking Squarespace website and you can just sell us sell stuff, man. It wouldn't be for going to Disney World. That's for sure. What would you buy with forty five hundred dollars at 14? Video games, shoes, clothes. I mean, you buy you, eventually you you buy it all of that. What do you mean? Forty five hundred dollars, and you still got money coming in. Like you're doing something that continues to generate money. Oh, you I mean, mean like reinvest? No, not reinvest. Oh. I'm saying, what's your bigger, 
At 14, you're 14 years I old. You I don't even have a bigger thing. You don't want to go take a trip or no. you know some, buy uh, I don't know nothing. No. <laughs> Not okay, cool. I got my shoes. I got a video game, and I got uh, clothes on my back. Yep. I've spent all. I've I've achieved everything I need to achieve. Yep. Snacks everywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very easy to please at 14 years old. Hey, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's true. I guess I was. I missed, I missed those days. Oh, Shit. Yeah, for sure, man. It wasn't nothing <laughs> like it, man. Oh, my God. I had... You see kids, I see kids outside, man. They just having a ball, man. Don't <laughs> you even. You see kids outside? Don't even. Yeah, well, don't even care. Don't even care what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not worried about. I'm playing right now. I don't give a shit what's going on tomorrow. I don't care in the world. Bills, wow. responsibilities, stressing, <laughs> Medicare. <laughs> God. Anyway, friend, what's your good vibes, man? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we did about to bring people down, man. I we got really morbid, man. All right, so I was um, my good vibe this week is Girl Scouts helping seniors learn to use their cell phones. Um, so they set up setting up a free clinic. <sighs> Let me just say, I hate doing this for, for old people. Mm-hmm. Listen, shout out to all the old people out there, but they'll ask you a thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where it's so easy, and I know that they don't know. I had a guy at my job say, "Um, um, hey, uh, are you busy right now?" I was on my phone. Uh, I said, "No, I'm not right now." Um, what's this? Uh, how do I respond to this uh mail on my phone? <laughs> and it was a scam. It was like a guy saying, "Like I'm Tom, you uh, owe Capital One five thousand uh, dollars. Send us the money to here." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's just that's spam. Don't uh, oh, spam." Uh. So what do I do? How do I respond to him to let him know I don't want to pay him at the money? Yeah. Just don't answer it, man. You, you're good. Just don't. Just leave it out and don't. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you're smart. They always think that what you did is incredible. You know. <laughs> it's too late. That's why. Yeah, man. You can't. Yeah, it's too man. late. Why? Just get a simple phone. Yeah. How about that? I mean, I, I know old, old people want to be involved, but like the learning curve is kind of broad. Just late. get a phone with some buttons on it, man. That'll solve this whole problem. But shout out to the Girl Scouts. Continue your story. Yeah. So people may get upset because most young people are always on their phones. But these Girl Scouts are receiving praise for helping senior citizens to use their own cell phones. The Girl Scouts from Troop 60013 in Arlington, Virginia, set up their first walk-in clinic walk-in clinic for elderly people having trouble understanding how to unlock this, the secrets of their modern gadgets. That's probably pretty adorable, though. Bunch of old people walking in like, excuse me, um... I would like to listen to. Uh, I, I want to listen to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Um, how do I get him on to come out of the phone? It's like you just go into iTunes and type in Frank. Oh, they all just uh, mind blown yeah. constantly. Hilarious. They do everything with one finger. Yeah, like um, <laughs> gotta put the glasses. glasses yeah, gotta yeah. put the glasses at the tip of the nose. I want to uh, face mail my niece. He's like, that's not what it's called. Okay, but I know face what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So each team spent at least an hour of one-on-one time with their older count, uh, counterparts. Based on their technolog- technological experience, each Girl Scout was assigned to teach different aspects of Android and Apple phones. Some of the oldest, the olders actually wanted to join the e-commerce revolution and needed help, get, needed help setting up Apple Pay. Other I, simp- I couldn't even imagine trying to teach <laughs> a, t- a 70-year-old person how to use I don't even know how to use Apple Pay, really. Yeah, I don't have it on my phone either. Uh, others others simply had trouble learning how to send messages to their family members. One girl said, I was, I was teaching this older woman how to text people, and the first thing she did was, was text her daughter, 
And I thought it was really sweet. It just made me feel really, really happy. Yeah, I feel like that's the most common thing, like text, text messages, messages or FaceTime, yeah. you know, Skype, that kind of stuff. I was pretty shocked when my dad first texted me. So. <laughs> Whole periods and commas period. and, you know. Uh, Always put love dad at the end. <laughs> it's a signature thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's my guy, though. In addition to orchestrating group lessons for all of the seniors to learn together at the end of the clinic. At the end of the clinic. So at the end, they just do a group, a big old group uh, teaching. The youngsters even printed out brochure, brochures and guides for the seniors to help <laughs> take home in case of co-founded seniors that had trouble with their smartphones in the future. So they just got a whole pamphlet yeah. book. I'm just imagining an old person coming into a grocery store and you know paying on the self pay thing. And sometimes the red the 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 machine the money thing doesn't have Apple Pay. Mm. So now the person comes over and they're like, uh, "Sir, you having a problem? Yes, uh, I would like to use this uh, my phone. The credit card is in the phone. Yeah. Apple Pay, yeah, Apple Pay. Yes, the <laughs> Apple Pay. I want to." Um, try to scan it onto the machine but it's not working oh we don't have that oh but but that's you you, you see you, you take the you take the phone and you put it on the machine <laughs> yeah but like you have to have the machine yeah. to to scan the phone on the machine oh that's a headache well do you have a machine in here to bring over to here and 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 use no we don't have any in the store oh well so how do you help me? My phone is in here. Well, and then you got to find some way to go. You know, we'll write down the numbers on the card on the screen, and then we'll type them in. You got to find a way to accommodate yeah. them or something. It's like that sounds crazy. Or they pull out this brochure that you said. You see, um, I took a class, and then if you see here, it says that you follow steps one through seven. Sir, that we don't have the machine though, so you can't do the steps here. Okay, well... Yeah, it's tough to explain that type of stuff to people because I know now um, the post office has um, some little shit set up where they can people can see the mail that's supposed to come to the house that day. Oh, why would y'all make y'all job? Why would you make it have, where people going to know you like that it's now? It's like, it's insane because mail does get mixed up. Yeah. So people are like, oh, well, this says it's supposed to... I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that. <laughs> well, I don't have it. <laughs> like, that's the only thing but I But it says it's supposed to be here, but it's not. So what do you want to do about it? Uh, what do you want to do? <laughs> that is... Why would you do that? Who decided that? The Postmaster General? The, that place is unbelievable, man. That's wild. To be like, oh, it's, don't... Oh, wait till tax... Is that new-new? It's like... It's like beginning of the year. New Was year. it around for tax season? Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, but it's like, why would you do that? Why Where would people you people like, us, uh, it says my tax return check is supposed, supposed to be, be here. Yeah. I don't have it. And people try to go... Like, I don't... I don't have it. What do you want? Whatever you, whatever I have, you get. I bring the mail. <laughs> That's it. I don't write the checks. I don't have any control over That's any of that. That's what people think you do, man. It's insane. Man. <laughs> yeah, so the eighth graders orchestrated the clinic as a means of earning their silver award, which is the highest um, honor of Girl Scout cadet, a Girl Scout cadet can receive. Mm. After experiencing the, re- the resounding success of their project, the girls hope to organize more clinics in the near future. One of the uh, ladies said, those girls were just marvelous. I mean, like, like they probably yeah. think they're smart. Geniuses. I mean, who, <laughs> who knows how to use a phone like yeah. that? Uh, said Nancy Taylor, a great a great grandmother of four who visited the clinic. They were all set up and ready for us and had a very mature attitude about answering our questions, and they were magnificent. To me, it would have been funny as hell. I would have been like, yeah, got to keep my I, laugh in, but it's yeah. like... <laughs> Like, oh, my God. So you can just, your face is just in the phone. It's just mind blown. 
you know, and I make my jokes. I think this is a great a great thing that these girls are doing. Yeah. I think it's great, but I just I make my jokes because it it is hilarious. One of my favorite uh, Nick Swartzen uh, stand up comedy bits is how he says he likes to go over to his grandmother's house because everything he does over there she, she's just amazed. Like mm-hmm. Nicholas, uh, could you pick up this stool and? Put it by the food pantry so I can get a snack off the top shelf. You mean this stool right here? Oh my God, Nicholas! <laughs> you're the strongest boy in the world. Like you're just like your grandparents think you're amazed. And uh, I go over if I go over to my grandmother's house right now, I change the batteries in her cuckoo clock. I got a degree from MIT. Yeah. As far as she's concerned, yeah. I'm a genius, man. Yeah. And that's all I. Just, how do you? It's always the they take it to the highest levels of like, how do you? How are you so good with technology like yeah. this? It's like. I just changed the batteries out. You just got to be like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it just comes natural. You yeah. know, you get your flex off a little bit. I don't, you know, Pick stop. up a chair. It's so strong. Yeah, you know, oh my God. Well, how'd you do that? <laughs> my faucet's leaking. Can you maybe get a wrench and maybe <laughs> tighten it up further than she's ever seen? Oh my goodness. You're so strong. Yeah. You know, it's just nuts like work, Grandma. Just a little light work. I mean, so, how was when you go over there? Yeah, you feel great. You know, <laughs> give you a kiss on the cheek. You, you always make you leave with some snacks. You I know, appreciate yeah. you when you Yeah, go for sure, man. Look out for old people, man. You know, yeah. they got great stories. And yes, it is funny the the age the age gap. So the stuff that comes so easy to you doesn't come so easy to them. So it, it can be a little funny. But they do need a little bit of help. And, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, you feel good when you help a person, especially somebody that you love. I mean, yeah. they're doing something for people that they don't even know. But when you go over, help your grandma out, you know, uh, take her to the grocery store, give them a ride, and you know, and they come back and... And you you know fix you something to eat and tell you a good story and they say you're on your way man yeah. don't because some people never had grandparents you gotta yeah. appreciate the elders in your life because I know people who are just said oh yeah my, my my grandparents died before I was even really old enough to even know who they are mm-hmm. or really get to know them so if you are an, a fully grown person or 15 to 30 and you still have grandparents and you're like go get a story go you know pick them up take them out to lunch and get involved man. Cause they're not gonna be here forever, and then you miss out on all the learning about your who, where you come from, and where who they were when they were your age. There's a lot of knowledge and, and funny stories there. So, shout out to those girls in the Girl Scout troop, and shout out to Isaiah flipping them cupcakes up and down Minnesota. Um, what I want to do is, in honor of Pride Month, uh, shout out to all the LGBTQ folks out there. Um, I want to play Emotions by Mariah Carey because I feel like this song just makes me want to get in the car with the top down and have the scarf tied where it's, <laughs> it blows back but then I also have it on my head and then I got some circle sunglasses on and I'm just riding. So uh, I want to leave you guys with uh, Mariah Carey Emotions and when we come back we're going to talk about some fucked up shit. And we are back, Fran. In order, uh, in in honor, again, 
we're gonna keep this train rolling in honor of LGBT awareness and and Pride Month. I decided to do a L story, L for lesbian. Mm-hmm. So please strap in for the story of Gwen Graham and Kathy Wood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kathy Wood started working at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home in Walker, Michigan, at the urging of her husband, Ken. He thought she needed to get out of the house and get a job, that, and that might cheer her up. He had no idea how badly his well-meaning suggestion would turn out. See, Ken and Kathy married in 1979, when she was just 17 years old and pregnant. Later, Wood would say she allowed herself to get pregnant so she could leave her abusive home. However, Wood would also later be diagnosed as a pathological narcissist, so it's hard to know what's the truth and what is a lie. A dilemma that makes this case even more difficult to understand. Let me continue. After the baby, a daughter, was born, Wood didn't act like she wanted the girl. Ken says that Wood didn't bond with her daughter and seemed to be irritated at the fact that she needed to be cared for. Wood withdrew, isolated herself, or she withdrew, isolating herself inside her home, which became cluttered and filthy. So we're starting to get into that hoarder's territory. Mm -hmm. And you know, my trifecta, like on any given day, if I could watch something all day long, it would be my 600-pound life, hoarders, and then for, you know, a runners-up, which is on a different scale, the office, just to kind of get that, you know, nastiness and and, and Mm self-hate off of me, just watch a little The Office to kind of... Uh, you know, get get some chuckles in, mm-hmm. but I could watch three of those all day. Anyway, so she became a hoarder, and uh, Ken thought that if Wood got a job and got out of the house, she might start to feel better. So in 1985, she took his suggestion and was hired at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home. Once she was on the job, she met a group of lesbians who worked there. They were a pretty tight group of friends, but they welcomed Wood into their circle because lesbians, in my experience... You know, they might give you a little punch on the shoulder. They're a little gritty. They're a little honest, but they're good people. Uh, so it's no. How big is this group? I don't. They must say. Oh, okay. You know, you know, six girls hanging out. I don't know. Mm. You know, a group, a group of friends. It's not a mob of people or something. It's just a little, <laughs> little friend group. Uh, so yeah, so they welcomed Wood into their circle. She began hanging out with them after work at bars and parties. Later, however, they said that Wood was a manipulative, a pathological liar who seemed to enjoy stirring up conflict and chaos, which is the Within worst. Within the group or just... Just with anybody, but, but they introduced her into their group and they probably started to see stuff where, you know, she's going, you know, um, uh, um, Bernadette um, thinks that your boots are ugly. And it's like, what? She said that? Yeah, she totally said that to me. So, but I didn't, you didn't hear from me. Those kind of people. I hate those kind of people. Gossipy people, mm-hmm. people that like to poke at you and stir shit up and then just sit back and watch the fire start. Yeah. Those are the worst types of people. Take and she's somewhere a, else. And she's a liar, which is the worst kind of person. Pathological liars are like the worst type of people because wh- why? You never you ever just uh find out a person lied to you about something that just doesn't matter and you Yeah. Go, yeah. Why? Why yeah, did you even lie about that? Yeah, I have. I have to. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it at that. (laughs) So uh, in September of 1986, she began an affair with Gwen Graham, Mm. who had recently moved to Michigan. Graham had endured a tragic childhood. 
She was raised on a farm in Texas by parents who believed that holding infants made them weak. So she went without uh, crucial physical contact and care during her earliest development. That's how weird is that? Yeah, they did that. That's how they did the baby in uh, in um, Meet the Parents. I don't know if you ever saw Meet the Parents, Ben Stiller and uh, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, uh, um, uh, shit, Robert. Uh, Niro. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Robert De Niro. Uh and there's a baby, he has a grandson, is like, no, 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 we don't pick him up, we just let him cry. Which I don't know if that's that's like a it was a popular parenting method a couple years ago where it's like, you just let him cry it out. Might still be, I don't have kids. But you just kinda let them cry it out. If they're not crying about anything important, they ate, we changed them, they took a bath. If they're crying, they just want attention, so let them cry it out. This is like the extreme of that though. Like we don't touch the kids. That makes them weak. So no hugs, no kissing, no Okay. You know, if I mean, I guess I if you want to raise an assassin, then, yeah. then that's the right method to take. But I mean, that's really cruel. <laughs> like yeah, that's that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's like, oh, dad, I, I tied my shoes. Good. You missed this. You missed them a little bit. Maybe time a little tighter next time. No high five, no hug or anything like that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a cold way to cold way to grow up, man. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, so she went. Uh, that was how she grew up. In addition, Graham said her father abused her both physically and sexually. Uh, she would burn herself with cigarettes and cut herself with razors. One incident in her childhood stands out for its bizarreness. Her brother, on the orders of her father, killed her pet dog for the sin of spooking a horse. So this is this is Graham. This is her, yeah, this is her, um, this is Gwen Graham. Yeah, okay. she just moved into town. This is her early life. And, okay. um, yeah, yeah, so she, she moves to Michigan and uh, um, begins begins an affair with uh, Kathy Wood. Hmm. So Kathy Wood is working at the the um this so both of them are they they some ass. Yeah, um, but Gwen Graham's life is insane. That if the, if somebody killed my pet dog in front of me as a kid, but as a child, yeah, yeah as a, I mean, you, there's no coming back from that. You never want a dog. You like it, it's it does something. Uh, that you can't even logically explain. You're 30 years old now. And you're like, I hate dogs. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. Just I just hate them. And it, if you went and t- sat down with a therapist, they break it out of you in, in 20 minutes of talking to you. That kind of stuff trips me out, man. Because you wonder why kids uh, or like adults don't like the, the, they're scared of the dark or they run up the steps when mm-hmm. you know you know you you're in the basement and then you gotta flip the switch and run up the steps real fast so yeah. you know you know. That all stuff usually comes from something. Like for me, I know I skier very easily. Like if I somebody taps me on my shoulder and I'm looking the other way, I'll jump nine times out of ten. Yeah, me because too. when I was a kid, sometimes I would come downstairs, like at, when I'm at my grandmother's house, and my cousins would just be gone, hmm. and I gotta go walking around the house. Where are y'all at? Stop! This isn't funny. <laughs> and they're like hiding from me so that they can jump out and scare me. Hmm. And that was just my childhood for many years. So now I don't like people just being gone mm-hmm. i'm already i'm immediately on the alert like oh oh shit something's weird is going on and they're like no man i left because we're all adults you know yeah. like, no man i just <laughs> i went home i'm like thinking oh shit they're behind the fridge or something <laughs> they're gonna try to get me no and they're like no man i left 15 minutes ago i just went home because yeah. i'm an adult person. i don't like i don't like uh going around corners i go i try to go around corners a little wide I yeah, just, so so it's not yeah. sudden, not no tight corner yeah, turns. No, I can't. Yeah, man, we all got our shit. You know, I don't like open doors when I'm sleeping. You know, I yeah, think that's, that's a lot it. of people though. Yeah, I, I I can't. Just pimp- like you're like your feet hanging out. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. You know, I thought I was, feet arms. It's weird because social media puts that stuff out there, and, and you, you like 
We're all the somebody, same. Yeah, exactly. Because we all some, something like, fucked up happened to all weird. of us. Yeah. <laughs> no, that and I bet that probably happened. You know, you were on a bunk bed one night some. and somebody grabbed your foot or something and yeah. scared you bad enough. We're like, I'm not putting nah. my, my foot. <laughs> My foot stays on the bed. No, my arms stay on the bed. Nothing hangs off the bed. And it's just that kind of stuff, man. That's weird. But yeah, your dog getting <laughs> shot at you. That's in front of you. That's fucking crazy. So Graham later dug up her dog's bones, removed its teeth, and kept them in a little heart box. As a child. As a child. Wow. Um, I want to say that that's sweet, but that's crazy as shit, yeah. man. That's, the heart box thing is where you kind of want to go, oh, that's kind of sweet. But it's like, no, man, you dug up a body and ripped the teeth out of a, a canine uh, cadaver and, and put them in a... That's serial killer shit. You know, just because you put it in a heart box doesn't make... It kind of uh, softens the creepiness, but that's still creepy, though. Yeah, it's creepy. I guess she loved the dog, but still, no, that's creepy as hell, man. Uh, later, she would be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and mm-hmm. other psychopathic features. Uh, with Wood, Graham had found what she was so desperately craving. Someone who would pay attention to her and make her the center of their world. Mm. But there would be a steep price to pay for Wood's affection. After a whirlwind romance with Wood, Graham began seeing another woman in the spring of 1987 Mm. and abruptly left Michigan to move back to Texas with her. Graham later said she she had to flee in fear of Wood, who had tied her up and threatened her with a gun. So this is a very volatile couple. And Wood is still married. I now, believe. these are, they're both lesbians, right? Yes. Wood is, I'm sure Graham was more of a seasoned lesbian, but Wood kind of discovered that she was a lesbian after marrying young, getting pregnant pregnant young, and then kind of falling into the scene mm-hmm. with this group of lesbians who were just trying to have a good time in the 80s. And I guess that's where maybe Wood discovered that she too was a lesbian. Did you have pictures of both of them? Yeah. Which one looks like more of the... The manly will look on. Well, what what I'm gonna say to you right there, sir? I'm gonna check you on that. Oh, um, that's not what that, they say. Uh, that I is, don't know. I don't. Know. Well, no, no, I understand, and I, and and I I don't really have the position to correct you fully. Uh-huh. But what I'll say is, uh, gender is fluid, and the, there is no man one and woman one. The, you know, but the, physical uh, appearance. Well, they both they both kind of look like. Uh, I don't know, Christopher Walken. They kind of look. They both look like. Uh, that's them. So I, I, I don't to to answer your question, which one is more feminine? Uh, I don't know. That's maybe what I the, meant, may, maybe the blonde one. I I would guess, but um, uh, no, there's I don't know who was quote unquote the man and the I don't know. But but you get what I meant though. I get like, what you yeah. I get I get I get what you meant. That's not that's not how you approach that. Oh, whole well, thing. I don't. I, I understand. I, hey man. <laughs> We're here to learn. It's Pride Month. Uh, I just want to make sure I impart some lessons okay. onto you that I've learned in my life. I want to bring you to where I'm at. Thank you. So you don't make those mistakes, you know? Thank you. You don't want to go up to some lesbian and be like, so are you the man? I wouldn't do Cause that. Because that would be... I wouldn't do that. But now you know why you shouldn't, though. I understand. Even though I didn't explain it very well. Yeah. But you know, don't do that. Yeah. I understand you wouldn't, but now you know, like, but don't do it. But I can tell, though. Okay. Oh, you don't, you don't, you're saying you wouldn't need to ask? No. But you can, but I mean, no, no, I got anyone. Hey, man, I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> let's, let's just, there's alarms going off. Let's just, we're going to get back to the story. Let's not go somewhere we don't need to go. Uh, so, <clears throat> Wood's marriage with Ken ended unsurprisingly, but she quickly remarried another man and just as quickly divorced him because she wasn't being true to herself, man. You got to live your truth, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet she had stayed with him just long enough to confess to murdering five women in her care 
at the Alpine Manor. So she's murdering elderly people. Yeah. Wow. After their divorce, Wood's most recent ex-husband went to the police with his story because of course he did, man. Why do you... People entrust the craziest things to people. Like, who do you think you're married to? Where it's like, mm-hmm. I got to just be honest about this. Let me tell this to this person. And clearly they'll uh, just, you know, support me in, in my, my life decisions and everything like that. That's just how it is. Did he tell when he was married or after he got divorced? They got divorced. They separated and then he went to the police station. It oh, might have yeah. been why they separated. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know specifics of what, what was going on in their relationship. But they divorced and then he immediately went to a police station and said, hey, my ex-wife killed five people. So you guys should look into that. Uh, the problem was many people had died in the nursing home in 1987 and none of the deaths had seemed suspicious. Yet police knew that if it that it would be fairly easy to conceal a murder among many natural deaths. So they brought Wood in for questioning. What actually happened at Alpine Manor between January and April of 1987 is hard to determine. Most of the facts of the case are based solely on Wood's word which are suspect to begin with, and changed over time. Under questioning, Wood did reveal some of the details of the murders to police in exchange for a plea deal. She portrayed Graham as the mastermind who coerced Wood into participating in the murders, and that she, Wood, had only acted as lookout while Graham smothered the helpless patients with rags. Keep in mind, as I said earlier, that group of lesbians said that Wood was a pathological liar mm-hmm. and she was also described as a raging narcissist. So this is a woman who never is wrong mm-hmm. and also will lie at the drop of a hat for no reason. Now she has a reason to because her freedom's on the line. And as soon as she got the plea deal, she's going to tell those police whatever they need. she needs to tell them to fit it to where I did the least and yeah. Graham did the most. And that's what she did. And that's the only thing that this case is really built on mm. is her testimony. The testimony of a pathological liar. Uh, The problem was, of the five alleged victims, none had had autopsies performed. Because I feel like that's not something you do. An 88-year-old person is like, I don't know, they died. They're old. I don't, you know, why do an Mm -hmm. autopsy? So, uh, yeah, none of them had had autopsies performed. And all but two of them had been cremated. Mm. So the police ordered the exhumation of of those two. The coroner found no physical evidence of homicide, but if they had been smothered, as Wood claimed, there would be there wouldn't be any evidence uh, after so long. You know, you do put a pillow over the face. There would be no, you know, broken, uh, you know, esophagus, no crushed mm. larynx. And you, know, you just you just same thing if you put a bag over somebody's head. There wouldn't be any evidence of, you know, suffocation. So you wouldn't know? No, because I mean, they just kind of stopped breathing, especially if they're old. It's like, you know, uh, they wild. just they just weren't able to breathe. Mm. That's what you know. If you're if you're choking somebody, you can leave you can leave DNA, you can mm. leave you know prints, marks, bruising. But if you just come up with somebody and put a bag over their head or smother them with a pillow, allegedly, I don't. I'm not. I'm not I don't have experience in this. Mm. I'm just. I'm just speaking from talking like it. You know, man, I'm just saying. You know. Mm. But I would assume if it was me, to be clear, I've never mm-hmm. done this. But I would probably get on top of them. To, to really secure them down while I put the pill over their face is the probably I would you know if you go side they over the DNA huh probably leave DNA then oh, I got, what are you butt naked ball hair slip out of the <laughs> a ball hair <laughs> yeah. we're gonna move on <laughs> your ball hairs just slip out off of you <laughs> what uh anyway uh, 
Uh, based on what statements alone, the cause of death, <laughs> the cause of death were changed to homicide, uh, and arrest warrants were served for both Wood and Graham. Graham maintained her innocence, claiming the roles were reversed and that it was Wood who initiated and carried out the murders. Later reporting by author Lowell Caulfield in his 1992 book, Forever in Five Days, would seem to confirm her story. Caulfield interviewed several of the couple's friends and co-workers, and they all painted a very different scenario. Mm-hmm. One where Wood was the dominant partner who, you know, so to answer your question, maybe that answers your question. So Wood was the, you know, the, the one that wore the pants, so to speak, was the dominant partner who manipulated Graham into participating in the murders. Graham claimed the murders had started as a kind of macabre game invented by Wood. The what? object of the game, according to Graham, was to choose victims by their initials to spell out the word murder. Wow. But that provoked that but that proved to be too difficult. So they gave up and just started <laughs> killing people at random. So, <laughs> so they wanted to do something real complicated and mysterious and they were yeah. like, there's nobody here named like uh Umberg or something. So we I don't know. Just just never mind. Fuck it. Fuck it. Just start just kill somebody. <laughs> kind of lazy shit is that? <laughs> <laughs> just couldn't do the games like I don't you, imagine you th- first of all it's a crazy conversation but like so what we're gonna do is we're gonna kill people and spell out murder with their last initials and then yeah. you get to the M and, and the D and then you're like oh it's no R's in here um never mind just yeah. I don't know just just kill somebody do murder yeah just kill just, yeah, just kill just do murder and do, we'll do all R's or something you know so that fell apart real quick. Uh, uh, the two women had even made their killing into a cutesy side, in, a cutesy inside joke, writing letters to each other that said, I love you forever and X days, where X equaled the number of people they had killed. Mm. So it would be, you know, I love you in two days. Mm. I love you in three days. I love you in seven days. You know, and that's just kind of their little, oh my God, we're murderers. It's so adorable, right? We love each other. Why did you try to make it so, like, cute or something? Oh, because they're crazy. <laughs> Did I not make that clear? Oh, they're, they're, they're hella crazy. So that's why they do stuff like that. Because they're not, their brains don't work um, how, you know, a, a, a regular brain should function. Mm. They think this is adorable what they're doing. You know, they probably have the, you know, I can't see me loving nobody but you. And they're like smothering an old lady. Because mm. that's that's how fucked up they are. Um, So, uh... Yeah, so apparently Wood wasn't the only one who had slipped up and confessed to her partner. Mm. Graham's new girlfriend testified that Graham had confessed the murders to her as well. He's telling everybody. Yeah, man. Why don't you keep it to yourself? You only found, you happen to find the one person who's like cool with you being a murderer. And y'all broke up. Nobody else is cool with it. So don't, don't tell me that. Um, yeah, Graham's new girlfriend testified that Graham had confessed to the murders confessed the murders to her as well based on her and wood's testimony graham was found guilty of all charges five counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder and she was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole graham graham and wood got a plea deal damn so check this out wood thanks to her plea deal was charged with only one count of second degree huh thanks to her lying 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks to her habitual <laughs> lying, everybody came forward later and was like, "No, what is a? She's a liar, wow. man. Like that. She definitely. It was her idea, but they already had the plea deal in writing. And mm-hmm. check this shit out. So thanks to her plea deal, she was only charged with one count of second degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second degree murder. She was sentenced to twenty years on each count, but after serving twenty nine years, was granted parole in October of two thousand eighteen. Mm. As of this writing, she remains in prison while. Her parole is on appeal. So she is eligible for, for parole. But as we said before, that doesn't mean anything. You still have to go before a parole board. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe they said no in light of these books coming out saying she's a pathological yeah. liar. So, But if if you go forward to those people and you're contrite and you say, like, I've learned my lesson. I'm not that person anymore. There's always a chance that, you know, the right parole board could let her out. What is it? How, how often do you go? Is it every, like, year? It's every annually? couple months. Oh, okay. it's, 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 every couple months? Yeah, it's every couple, every, maybe, like, every three months, every four, every three months, every six months, something like that. It's not, like, once a year, I don't think. You you have a couple of chances a year to, you know, go before a parole board and, and try to say, hey, uh, I'm changed. Hmm. So, she, her, she is eligible for parole. She is still in prison as of the writing of this article that I read, who, that was written by Delaney R. Bartlett for The Medium. Um... And, uh, yeah, so that was my little LGBT story uh, about um, Gwen Graham and Kathy Wood. One of them moved from Texas and happened to move to this one part of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And they are, yeah, to, uh, to, to Minnesota. And they happened to meet and chaos ensued. And it was just a, pa- a, a match made in hell. Her being a liar, and I'm sure people probably, you know, said it to her or something or whatever. But when she's a liar like that and then... She gets into a situation like that, and then she wins it. Yeah, it's like well, it works. What lying? Yeah, like you can't. It works. Oh, lying works. The only problem but for her, for I mean, for her doing it, you know, at an excessive amount, just always doing it. Yeah. But for somebody to be like, Man, you you lie all the time, but she get in that situation and gets off on something like well, for, with lying. Yeah. yeah. Well, in a in a situation with um uh court, and we have a lot of um like you know law people, lawyers and stuff that listen to this, and I would think they would agree with this is mm-hmm. um. I feel like it was even said in that uh when they see us show it, it they said it's not it's not who tells them no that's, that's not from that it's from something else it's not who tells the best information as far as those plea deals and stuff like that. it's not mm. who tells the best information it's who tells the information first mm. so it's not like she lied better than graham did mm. she just lied first and so and she, and she told a narrative that that fit where they could make us a, a case around it and so that's what they went with. And they were like, okay, cool. That makes sense. She did it and you were there. That's fucked up. But you didn't do it. So we'll go with that and you'll be our witness and here's your plea deal. Wow. Because she, she got to tell her, she got to tell first. Mm. And that's, that's how that goes most of the time. It's not about every time. Whenever you see somebody who puts people in, you know, those first 48, when you see the guy with the Pepsi in front of him and, mm-hmm. you know, he told on his friends. It's not that he told the best lie of all his friends. He just was the first one that broke. So he gets the deal. That's how that works nine times out of ten. It's like whoever tells first is the winner, for lack of a better word. But, you know, it's not about you, oh, let me try to come up with the best lie possible to make the cops believe. It's like, no, you can tell them whatever lie. They'll help you. <laughs> you know, as we saw in the, when they mm-hmm. say it's to bring it up again, they'll help you fill in the blank spaces if you're willing to lie. So they'll make, oh, uh, well, you know, it was me and such and such and it was 1030. Are you sure it wasn't midnight? Yeah, 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 no, right. It was midnight, and uh, so um, and he had the gun, but I was there. Okay, well, it wasn't a gun. It was a knife. Are you sure it wasn't a knife? 
a knife. Yeah, yeah. So it was a knife. And yeah. It was midnight. And then boom. And then that guy gets a shorter sentence, and somebody's going to jail for a long time. Mm. So it's not. It's not. It's not who tells the best lie, or it's not who tells the best stories. That who tells the story the fastest. Mm. <clears throat> That's because no, I wouldn't. I haven't been in those type of situations. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> wish there was some wood around because I would absolutely knock on it. I, I, I don't find, I don't think that I'll be in any of those situations anytime soon. Hope I won't ever need to know who gets tells the story first and none of that stuff. Uh, what I want to do is I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, it's Fran's turn to tell you some fucked up shit. So stick around. All right, and we are back, Fran. It is on you, please, sir. My friend murder this week is called. Um, well, it's about the Golden Dragon Massacre. Ooh. This was in um, San Francisco, California. Ah. So, um, <clears throat> the Golden Dragon Massacre was a gang-related shooting attack that took place on September 4th, 1977, inside the, Gold, the Golden Dragon Restaurant, located at 822 Washington Street China, in Chinatown, San Francisco, California. Mm. The five perpetrators, members of the Joe, the Joe Boys. The Joe Boys? Yeah. Like J-O? J-O-E. J-O-E. Oh. I the was Joe maybe Boys. Maybe like Korean or something. Um, Chinese or something. It was a Chinese... Uh, gang? Youth gang. Ooh. The Joe and, Boys. Yeah. And um, they were attempting to kill the members of the Wa Ching, a rival Chinatown gang. Oh, wow. Just getting it popping like that in Chinatown. Yeah, man. When I read this, I was like... I mean, I know this is in the 70s, but I was like... I mean, the shit was going... I didn't even know there was, you know... What do you want to say? Asian? Gangs? Asian gangs? Never heard of the triad? Yeah, but I didn't know it was like, like street here. Games. I didn't know it was here. Yeah, hey man, America's a melting pot, and melting pots. There's little subsections of gangs. Yeah, man, Asian gangs, Mexican yeah. gangs. Yeah, know. so the Joe Boys, um, they was all or the JB or JBS was a Chinese American youth gang founded in the 1960s in San Francisco Chinatown. The Joe Boys was originally known as the Joe Fong Boys, um, after its founder Joe Fong. Fong was a former member of the Ching. Oh, he Ching left. Game. He left and, and did his own thing. Yep. So the Watching is a Chinese American and Japanese American triad secret society and oh. blood affiliated hybrid street gang. Oh wow, that's a long title. <laughs> <of things. laughs> Say that again. They are a so hybrid Wa-Ching. breed of a mix of a, right. a, a cataclysm of of two breeds of, of gangs morphed into one yep. and doing the fusion dance. Okay, yeah. go ahead. What? So yeah, Chinese American Japanese. Uh-huh. Uh, American Triad, Secret Society, yeah, and blood-affiliated hybrid street gang, also known as Dub C or Insane Dragons. Oh, okay. Was originated in San Francisco, California, during the, during the early 1960s. The Wa Ching is a is organized into one large gang. Um, the Wa Ching controls a large portion of the criminal vices throughout the San Francisco and Los Angeles Asian American communities. That sounds a lot more organized than like. Uh Hey man, I'm Joe Fung. You want to join my gang? Yeah, man. What's this called? Um, uh, the Joe Fung Gang. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> All that shit that you just said is insane. Yeah. So just to you know, just to put out their their criminal activities, because I mean, I I've, I've read this because I don't know anything about, never even heard of a Chinese gang. So sure. But like they were into you know making little sales, selling little arm, weed. Yeah, arms trafficking, drug trafficking, mm-hmm. extortion, money laundering, prostitution, yeah. illegal gambling, loan sharking, any other gang. Probably extortion yeah, in there. fraud, counterfeit, and software piracy. Yeah, didn't know. Yeah, I didn't gang know. Gang is a gang is a gang. Yeah, didn't know. Um, <clears throat> so the incident. We were in a gang. We were. Yeah. What gang was that? 
Small shirt gang. <laughs> we'll talk we're not, about that. We're, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. That's for life, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the massacre, um, the motive was the incident was motivated by a long standing feud between two rival China, Chinatown gangs. Just seems comical to me. I'm sorry. I don't want to what know, two offend. two Asian gangs. Yeah. yeah, like you just what, all right. They me, roll up on you. Yeah, I know, I you. know that, but I'm just saying. Like, when I see, I just think of you know they doing karate. It's racist. They doing karate <laughs> in the middle of the street. All right, they karate throwing a couple bullets in your ass, man. Now, what I will say is, uh, as far as the triad goes, uh, they do. You know, it's a it is a. Um, generational kind of society of, mm-hmm. of, of a gang so they do bring kind of you know ancient Japanese culture into their gang where mm-hmm. you know they might you know uh, have a sword or something like that and they have traditional Japanese art on their back as far as an Asian American street youth gang in the 70s you know uh, using martial arts I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's, that's the case they probably you know shot a fair one like anybody else uh. couple fists. Now do they, you know, train young and know a little bit of martial arts? Just, in, you know, so they might be a little more throw some kicks? Probably, uh-huh. but I don't think it's like a, a, a Chinese uh, film like, yeah. where it's like their their lips are moving <laughs> at a different speed. And, oh, you have offended my gang. You stole uh-huh. my drugs. Now we fight in the street. I don't think, it, you know, I don't, you know, and then they flip off of cars and yeah. do, no, I think they just, you know, get, what are you doing? In, and, and it's San Francisco. They might have been like, what are you doing in my neighborhood, Cass? In the seventies, no. But an Asian person, no. Hey uh, man, people in Chinatown. People, hey man, people assimilate. I didn't, but I didn't know stuff was going like that, going down like that in Chinatown. People assimilate. You ever seen Timothy Delgado? Who's that? He's like on Wild and Out, little Asian guy. But oh he, yeah, yeah, he's, 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 he has a black scent. <laughs> but Chinatown, though. I mean, I but it's Chinatown. Know. But like Little Italy, you don't you don't go down to Little Italy here in Baltimore, and everybody's like. Oh hey, you went to the meets about. Oh hey, you know it's just it's just like a little town that keeps the culture there. But you know they pass hey. fish back and forth and whatnot. Passing fish back and forth. <laughs> Is that what, like what, real are, are we talking about Little Italy or are we talking about China? Little China, Chinatown. People pass fish. Back. <laughs> what do you mean? What does that mean? Like at a fish market? Just, yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's an Asian thing. Passing fish back and forth, yeah, maybe. Because what they do, it's like a lot of fish in Chinatown. They just always have fish. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah, definitely. Passing back and forth. Anyway, yeah, so it was two. It was a rival. It was a um, long-standing feud between two rival Chinatown gangs, the Joe Boys and Watching. Traced back into traced back into 1969 when the first victim was killed. The two gangs controlled different parts of San Francisco, with the Watching in Chinatown and the Joe Boys in Richmond and Sunset Sunset districts. And had been rivals since the Joe Boys splintered off from the watching in the late 1960s. So they just so that dude was just like Yeah, Joe this guy Joe, Joe Fong. fucked everything up. Yeah. Wanted yeah. to start his own shit and it started a turf war. But I understand, you know, maybe he understood the concept of being in a gang mm-hmm. is foolish when you're because being in a gang is like being in a pyramid scheme. So there's a guy at the top. Yeah. And he's like, Joe I don't want to be a guy at the bottom anymore. So I'm gonna leave. Free my own thing. What's the first thing? Watching, I'm gonna leave watching. Mm. Start the joke. He's so he's such a narcissist. He didn't just start his own thing. He wanted to to be named after yeah. him. So that's just a level. The Joe, of, the Joe Fung boys. The Joe Fung boys. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so when he spun it off, um, in the late 1960s, the assassination attempt at the Golden Dragon was directed was a direct retaliation for a for the shootout with the watching in Chinatown's Ping Yun, um, housing project. 
on on a fourth on July fourth, nineteen seventy seven, which was sparked by a dispute over fireworks sales. Mm. Seems a little petty. Petty, yeah. Like tensions were probably so high between the Joe Fung boys and the and the um and the other guys that it could have anything. It was anything. <laughs> That's how high the tensions were at this point. Fireworks sales. So that yeah, so that shootout resulted in the death of a sixteen year old Felix Hugh, um, and the the wounding of Melvin Yu, both members of the Joe Boys. Mm. Hugh's murder, in turn, was seen as a retaliation for the early death of Ken Chun Lu, um, who was a 20-year-old member of the Watching, who had been shot a dozen times on May 31st oh while while attempting to escape in his car. It's mm. a lot of damn times. Yeah, man. Um, the car was parked near his apartment, close to the green, close to Green and Kearney. Lu's death was later memorable memorialized in a poem by Michael McClure, who came upon the victim shortly after the shooting, mm. including those victims in the Golden Dragon. Um, 44 people had been murdered during the war between the Joe Boys and Hua Ching by 1977. Yeah, man. That's the same thing that's going on in Baltimore right now. I don't know who it's between, but, you know, any of these inner city things, you know, mm. just because it's an Asian gang, it's like uh, you're two crews, one person gets killed, there's got to be retaliation for this, and then it goes back and forth. And now you get to a point where you don't know what started what, but I know you killed my my homeboy last week, and I'm torn up about that, so somebody's got to... It's it's fresh every time. Every time it happens, you you can't even pinpoint to when it started... But you just know even you kill you t- you kill one of mine, I gotta kill one of yours. Especially for doing it for so long, it's just like, yeah, man. It's just it's just, it's just what it is. So the raid, um, this was the whole preparation of the whole massacre. Uh-huh. <clears throat> the raid was planned in in Daly City apartment. Preparation had begun in the early 1977 when Joe Boy's members began acquiring the weapons that would be used in a massacre. Mm. During the summer of 1977, Tom Yu, a leader in the Joe Boy gang convinced a longtime friend who owned a home in Pacifica to store the weapons. Wrap to store the weapons wrapped in a cloth and um in the front closet of the of that home. Mm. On August 29th, 1977, you met Carlos John, a member of another gang. You asked John to keep track of Wa Ching and Hop Singh gang members over the upcoming Labor Day weekend and show special interest in where they might be um for a late night snack. So they're just working oh, so he, with oh, so he ratted on them where other people be. just to, yeah. And, hey, I need you to hold these these weapons for me. Wrap mm. them up, put them in the front closet. Yeah. So you gave John the phone number of the Pacifica home and asked him to call on the following Saturday, which was September 3rd, the Friday night, that Friday night, September 2nd in 1977, members of the Joe Boys gathered in Pacifica, retrieved the weapons and put them on display. You received a phone call at 1 a.m. on Saturday morning and after a brief private conversation, ordered the weapons to be put away back into the closet. Mm. By this time, the group plotting the shooting consisted of Tom Yu, his brothers Chester and, and Dana, Dana, Melvin Yu, Peter Peter Nung. I don't I don't know N G. I don't know how you Young. <laughs> All right, well, it is. Go <laughs> Peter Peter Chung, Carlos Tam, Cam Lee, and Dong Wong. Later that evening, the game returned to Pacifica around 9.30 p.m. The two members of the Joe Boys, Peter Chung and Donna Yu, were asked to steal a, four, a four-door car which would facilitate entry and exit for a quick getaway. Mm. They returned shortly afterwards with a blue Dodge Dart and, part, and parked in the home's driveway. They're about that life. Yeah. 
The gang members retrieved the guns from the closet after the homeowner returned and went to sleep. At 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sunday, which was September 4th, Tom Yu received a phone call from Carlos John that members of the rival Wang Chong, Chang gang included Michael Hot Dog Louie, one of its leaders, were, <laughs> were present at the Golden, the Golden Dragon restaurant in San Francisco. Hot Dog Louie. Yeah. Michael Hot Dog Louie. The Golden Dragon was chosen as the site not only because it was favorite hang, was a favorite hangout of the watching, it was also favored by Hop Sing Tong members, was co-owned by Jack Lee, a Hop Sing elder. So Chester Yu, Curtis Tan, Melvin Yu, and Peter Peter Young, mm-hmm. like all members of the Joe Boys of the Joe Boys gang took firearms and ammunition from the from the closet in a friend's home in Pacifica where they had been staying that weekend and Chester Yu drove the group to the restaurant in the Dodge that had been stolen earlier that evening by Peter Chung and Dana Yu. 40 minutes later, at 2.40 a.m., Chester Yu parked the stolen car near the Golden Dragon and stayed in the driver's seat while the others went to the restaurant. Armed with 45 caliber Commando Mark rifle, which is a... Um, it's like a Tommy gun, really. Mm. Um, with uh, they had two 12, 12 gauge pump action shotguns and oh. a thirty eight caliber revolver. Curtis Tan, Melvin Yu, and Peter, um, they had the nylon stocking mask and entered the restaurant from the second floor entrance at eight eighteen Washington. Oh wow! Looking for members of the Wa Ching during during the trial of Curtis Tam, Chester Yu testified that Tam was welding a a shortened shotgun. Oh, like a sawed-off. Oh, that's what they... Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that's super illegal, too. Yeah, and had a long barrel shotgun and a handgun, and Melvin Yu was using the rifle. From 50 to more than 100 people, many of whom were tourists, were present at the restaurant at the time of the shooting. Oh. So it doesn't even matter, you know, who's around. It's like... Yeah, we, it's time. Yeah. So according to Chester Yu, um, had instructed Tam to fire a shot at the ceiling first, so that when people panic and get down on the floor, we will decide who to shoot. Wow! But that's and, such a that's such a common thing to say. <laughs> well, when you shoot the gun in the air, everybody's gonna drop down to the yeah. floor. Nobody's gonna run at us or run out the door or scatter. Right? They'll all fall, leaving only our enemies kind of just still sitting in their seats, so we can pick them off. Why? Because like, they don't flinch. I guess that's very confident. <laughs> like everybody drops down, and then all of our enemies will just be still where we can see them. Yeah, that's crazy. So instead, without warning. The three random the three randomly opened fire on pay, on patrons inside the crowd inside the crowded restaurant. Oh, so they didn't wow. even it was like, hey man, look. The plan we tried is, to do it sh- in an organized yeah, way. We're gonna shoot to the ceiling. No. Pow 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 just stop banging. It's like, damn, wow. give me a warning or something. Yeah, so they started shooting inside the crowded restaurant, killing five people, mm. including two tourists and wounding eleven others, non none of whom were were gang members. And and they just wanted to get some food. <laughs> it's just crazy, man. You really could just when you go left when you could have went right, man. Yeah. They could have went. You know what, man? It's it's three o'clock in the morning. I'll just go to bed. I'll go to bed hungry and I'll mm-hmm. eat in the morning. You yeah. know, like and they didn't. You know, they that one decision. Wow. So in Tam's confession, he stated he had been forced to join and join end on the shooting and deliberately did not target any anybody. Sure. I didn't shoot anybody. That's me. I just pretended that's to shoot me. My that's guy. me. That's me. I, I got forced into this, and this dude, what he said, uh, 
He heard Melvin started shooting, then Peter. I fired my first shot at the sofa. <laughs> and then I, I fired my second shot where nobody was standing. I was purposely shooting where people weren't. Yeah. That's Maybe thing. he was scared. These these are young kids. I don't believe him. You don't believe I don't, that? No. I, I, everybody's shooting. He's like, <laughs> okay, no, a wicker basket, a couch, a bottle. He's like purposely shooting things that I'm. He's purposely not shooting people. <laughs> the ceiling fan. I mean, make sure I don't hit anybody. I don't believe that. I think this sounds like chaos. I think it could be true, man. Well, he's a young kid. He's yeah, he's a young kid, and he got he wrapped forced, up into. He was some... forced into that. Now it's like this is some real shit. I don't want to kill anybody. He's in the I'm going to shoot my gun so they think I'm shooting somebody, but I'm not. Were you going to get away with it? No, but... Yeah, he was there. He had a gun in his hand. He shot the gun. He's guilty. <laughs> so testimony at Melvin Hughes' trial showed... Um, you know what Trey did at Boys in the Hood? The he got out of the car. That's not wanting to be a part of something. <laughs> That's getting out of it. They all called him a pussy. Doughboy called him a bitch. Looked at him up and down, and then Doughboy went and did what he did. Doughboy got arrested. What did Trey do? Hey, Doe, stop the car, man. Stop the car. He got out, and he didn't have blood on his Sergio Valente shirt that night. He went home, and he cried. That's that's decided not to be a part of it. <laughs> All right, baby. That's decided not to be a part of it. Not going there and then pretending to shoot the guy who shot Ricky out of the car with the shotgun. You just shoot at the windows and the and the floor and you don't shoot them so now you don't feel as bad you're there you got a gun you're in on his it. life was threatened man by the who the people in the gang by the what? gang yeah you not cooperating then we're gonna take you out shit i gotta act like i'm shooting can't blame him man i can and i do and <laughs> I have. <laughs> so according to unofficial sources the gunman uh welding the rifle was later identified as melvin U. Uh, was the first to open fire, walking directly up to the man at the table and shooting him. Oh, wow. Continuing to shoot after he had fallen to the floor. After the victim was shot nine times, oh. Melvin Yu then redirected his automatic rifle randomly into the crowd. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So, with two other gunmen, it was two shotgun blasts from two other people. Uh-huh. Um, the first victim later identified as Paul Wada. A visiting law student may have been misidentified as known as a gang, known as gang a sympathizer. So he oh, because he, he was because he was Asian, yeah, Chinese or whatever. An initial news report incorrectly identified other shooting victims as highly placed gang members. The intended targets among the leaders, the leadership of the Wa Ching and Hop Singh, who were sitting at the table at the at the back of the restaurant, were not injured. So they didn't even. They was just. I guess they got one of the people. I guess. Man, this was a terrible idea. Yeah. Oh, terrible. It's just it because they already fucked up when they. Let's go and attack them <laughs> at a crowded restaurant. Yeah. That'll we'll get them for no. sure. So up to ten members of the watching, including their leader Michael Lee, ducked under tables during the gunfire. They had been alerted by a friend who had spotted the three gumming running toward the restaurant from a window in front of the restaurant and shouted, "Man with gun!" So they saw him coming. Um, and can't. So he shot it. He shot a man with gun in Cantonese and English. Triad member Random, I'm sorry, Raymond Kwok Chow, who was then 17 years old, a member of the Allied Hop Sing Tong, was among those who survived the attack. The shooting lasted less than 60 seconds. Police later called it the worst mass murder in San Francisco history, probably because mm. it was, you know, wasn't playing well. Well, I think they just mean because 
Yeah, people got killed. Yeah, 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 but yeah, okay. Yeah. True that. True that. This was so un this was the worst <laughs> planned mass murder ever. It could have gone like that, so much more. I feel planned. like that's how it would go on the news today. Oh, like they would say like they didn't do a good job? Yeah. <laughs> What kind of news are you watching? I don't know. I this gonna, guy was, I was so say bad at shooting thing. Yeah, whatever it is, don't, don't say it. Uh, so two armed law enforcement officers were also at the Golden Dragon during the attack. James Bonanno and James Bonanno, a restaurant patrolman drove. Um, I'm sorry. A restaurant patrolman dove for cover when the gunman entered. Mm. He later testified he pulled his revolver and radioed for help, but since the shooting only took took place for over 30 to 45 seconds it was it was over when he emerged and so he turned his efforts to wounding the um the the diners the people that was in there so it was it was two cops there but it was it happened so fast that they he just couldn't kept even, the head down. yeah they couldn't even do anything so richard hargens also fell to the floor after hearing shots though he drew his revolver he was unable to shoot the gunman because other people were in his line of fire Neither man was able to identify the gunmen beyond describing them as young Orientals. So Chester Yu drove the shooters back to the house. So this is after they they escaped from the um the, the restaurant. Yeah. yeah, drove back to the house in, in Pacifica after the shooting, and the weapons were returned to the closet. After returning to Pacifica, the Joe boys stayed awake until dawn, discussing the shooting. Then slept for a few hours before. I don't know how you even can. My adrenaline would be on. Yeah, 40. It, it'd be crazy. Um, they slept for a few hours before awakening to hear the news of the killing. They dispatched um, Tony Chun Ho Sto, another Joe boy, to pick up the noodles from the Golden Dragon for breakfast. So they got one of their gang members to go get food from the food run from the place they just shot. Oh, from the place. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. They assumed it would be open. Yes. Hey, listen. <laughs> one thing I'll say about. Uh, it's a little China, so I would assume mm. it's a Chinese restaurant. Mm. Chinese people do not close, man. Christmas. Night. No, I mean, all like, day. they don't oh, let, like they're not going to let money go. Yeah, yeah, they're like, like, they are hustlers, man. Like, they are not, you know, they, you know, rain or shine. I guarantee you, hurricane, any kind of thing like that, there's a good chance you can get some Chinese food ordered. Now, you got to go pick it up. I don't think they're going to send the carryout guy to you, but... They'll probably be open, mm-hmm. you know. So that that's that resilience, man. Yeah. So they sent one of their guys to go pick up breakfast from that same spot. So later that morning, the perpetrators retrieved the weapons from the closet. Don't you, but don't you think that's weird that they were open even though? Yeah. The fact they, that they please could? got shut up. Yeah. Maybe they what? I mean, maybe they sent him there. To, like it, uh, it happened at three o'clock in the morning. So now it's eleven. Let's say, let's say now it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're open. Like you just said, man. You said they don't close. Hey, that's crazy. Letting people die. We still get them out of here. The police rushing the police. Hurry up. Come on. We got to clean up here. We got to get organized. We still get this money. And so later that morning, the perpetrators retrieved the weapons from the closet, cut them into pieces in the garage. Smart. And asked Soto to dump the pieces into the San Francisco Bay. That was smart. So Soto drove Chester Yu to a location within sight of Key Jones, a a Burlingame restaurant where Soto worked. And together they dumped the parts into the bay near the bay near San Francisco International Airport. A week after the shooting, Tom Yu called Carlos John for the last time and asked John asked John to keep cool. Mm, that was smart. A lot of times people get caught up in being sentimental and mm. or they like the gun. And so they keep a gun that they killed somebody with. 
and that's how they end up getting caught. You know, bullets match, ballistic, mm-hmm. yeah. all that kind of stuff. They were smart. That was smart. That was a smart move for a fucking... How did they do that, though? Cut Top the guns up? Yeah. I mean, you could you know, get some Home Depot saws and, you know, a drill. Get them shits out of here. Drill, you know, a nice little band saw or something. Yeah. Mm. So, um, one week after the shooting, two members of the Joe Boys were shot by a suspected watching gunman. We just talked about that. Leaving one Joe, leaving one Joe boy dead and the other critically wounded. Yeah, and there, what police, there was going to have to be get back for this. Yeah, one. that was insane. Yeah, and what police called a revenge motivation shooting. Michael Lee, eighteen, was killed, and Low Mark Chan, who was nineteen, was wounded critically in an ambush at the entryway of Chan's Richmond district home. Mm. Um, so Chinatown was one of the leading tourist destinations in San Francisco. Suffered. It suffered after the shooting. Nighttime dining in Chinatown was depressed and restaurant reservations were canceled, you know, after the following of the shooting. Which yeah. It's typical. Um, so Chinatown residents came, some, some Chinatown residents came forward to provide tips in the days following the shooting. So Mayor George Moscone announced a $25,000 reward, which is equivalent to $103,000 in 2018. Um, wow, really? That that big of a discrepancy? This yeah. is the 70s, right? This is the 70s, yeah. Wow. <laughs> man, money sucks, man. $25,000 was like having $100,000 back then? Yeah. Wow. Mm, well, $25,000 back then was like having $100,000. Having $100,000 now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but that was a reward for information leading to the conviction of the shooters. Two days after it occurred, the largest reward offered to date. The unprecedented reward was eventually increased to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which is four hundred thirteen thousand dollars in twenty eighteen. I would have got that. <laughs> I would have got that if I was a Joe boy. Oh, ooh! In late okay. September, the highest reward, highest reward allowed by city law, it was eventually collected by Guy Wong Robert Wu, a Joe boy's member. <laughs> Goddamn right! You know, I, I know, I know where the guns are. The, the pieces of the guns. I know everybody's name. Yeah, no, I I, I want that. <laughs> yep. So Wu had been arrested in March 1978 for his role in the February 15th Portsmouth Square shooting that left two watching members wounded. I mean, so he in the field also. He provided a recording of Tam conversation about the massacre to the police. Oh, he wore a wire? Was kept in protective custody after he had been identified as the informant. Mm, and so he went to trial. He was he was willing to get on the stand he for the hundred thousand. He went four hundred thousand in front of Joe Joe uh Chat Joe what's his name? Who the the the, the guy? Watching Joe. This is Joe boys. Joe right? boys. Yeah. He yeah. told him the Joe boys. Yeah. What's the guy's name? Joe uh Choi Joe Choi. Uh uh Joe Joe Fong. Yeah Joe Fong. Yeah. Went, went That's him. That's yep. him right there. That's, that's Joe. No. Fung. That's all of them. Yeah. That's everybody. <laughs> Yep. Money please. Yep. So Wu provided first lead into the case two weeks after the shooting. I mean, just we just talked about that. Him, he came out first. Was like, oh, I got. Yeah, no, got I'll tell you. Yeah. I know every. Yeah. Yep. Um. See, so, yeah, so he was the first leader of the case two weeks after the shooting, pointing the police to Curtis Tam. However, by December 1977, no arrests had been made, though police were investigating the deadly rivalry between the Joe Boys and Watching. Mm. So five men, all members of the Joe Boys, were eventually arrested and convicted for the massacre. Curtis Tam, Melvin Yu, Peter Young, and Chester Yu, and Tom Yu. The gunmans were identified as um, identified as Melvin and Tam. All 17 years old at the time of mm. the shooting. They, I mean, these were kids. These youth. Were young kids. So three, the three youths were charged with being accessories to the crime and had been found guilty 
or pleaded guilty in closed juvenile court proceedings by August 17, 1978. Mm. Everybody went down. Yeah. So in October 1991, Curtis Tan was released from prison. Is that your boy that was like, I don't think he was shooting at things that weren't people. I think that was his name. So in 2014, Melvin Yu was granted parole, and during the parole hearing, he said that he had plans to live with a cousin in Hong Kong and expected to be deported back to there. Although, as of 2017, a spokesperson of the Chinese consulate of San Francisco states that there is no record for deportation requests for you, and Yu has been living in San Francisco. Mm. So nigga was like, just tell him what they... I'm about to live my life. I'm going back to Hong Kong. Yeah. And then just get lost in the system. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Tom Yu. And Tom Yu was eligible for parole in 2017. Peter Young was granted parole in 2018 after being denied eight times. Mm. And most recently in 2015. Hey. Eventually, you know, you might run across the right group of people and tell them the right thing. Yep. So, um... The, the whole restaurant did take a hit after all that went down. So Robert Robert Wu, who was the guy that got the got the money, uh huh. The informant who collected Robert Wu, who was the informant don't, that collected the hundred thousand reward. Don't even tell me. Don't even tell me. He bought that fucking restaurant. Was killed during a shootout. Oh, was killed during a shootout with the police while robbing a jewelry store in Los Angeles. Oh wow. I was... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wow, that didn't go how I, I thought you were going to be like, Robert Wu bought the restaurant, and now crazy. it's the most successful restaurant in Chinatown. That would have been wild. That would have been a crazy ending. Yeah. So no. he's died. He died. He died trying to, dry, trying to rob a jewelry store. Wow. Must have blew through the 100000 Oh, quickly. most definitely. He was gone. Wow. So the Golden Dragon restaurant continued operations shortly after the massacre, but patronage was down, and it failed a health inspection in September 1978. Well, that's just... Had an insult to injury right yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. After failing another health inspection in 2016, oh. it was closed. The restaurant also owed a year's worth of paychecks to employees. Yeah, maybe it's for the best. <laughs> but, what happened yeah. there was tragic, but clearly just a poorly run business. I mean, that's just, yep. no, I'm trying uh, to, I want to like them, but like, you're not paying no, your employees no. and you are uh, failing. Not clean he- yeah, no, twice. No, 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 yep. no. A year? A whole year. Yeah, I don't even go good. to places that. One time I saw a restaurant that had the, you know, they have the grades, uh-huh. and it had a B. How dare you? Don't even put that up. No, I'm not eating there. Oh, you got to put, is that like, by law, you have to put that up? Yeah, or? like, you can get oh. something other than an A. Like, you can, you can kind of pass not, the health inspection. Oh, it's not like A of. or you fail. It's like, you get a B. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't. No, I'm like, oh, I'm not eating here. <laughs> yep, so it was reopened. Above average. Yeah, so the restaurant was reopened as the Imperial Palace restaurant. So that is that is what is now called. Well, I hope it's clean. I'll tell yeah, you one thing. The way, as expensive as it is to live in San Francisco these days, I'm sure it is clean and very expensive. Yeah. You can't even, you can't even live in San Francisco if you don't make, you know, Yeah, I, seven we actually figures. talked about that on the phone about, I don't know what yeah, brought up the conversation. Yeah, if, if, you don't, if you don't make seven figures, you you don't, you can't even sniff a house in San I mean, Francisco. the pictures, it just, you see the movies, it looks super nice. Like, they got, they still got the little trains that go down the hill? Yeah. It's a very picturesque town, but the thing is, the the pay discrepancy is so insane that it's like super rich people, homeless people. There's no middle. Yeah, because you can't afford you can't to afford, yeah. you can't afford to live in a house. So it's so a lot you of homeless just, people. Are, yeah, so you just don't live in a house, and you are so it's homeless people and super rich people. There's no uh, middle class in San Francisco really, and you can't get a you a, a, a burger costs twenty five dollars there. Like it is. What do you got? A whole bunch of five guys over there or something? What? Five guys is expensive. I just thought. Is it? 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, no, they have like fucking uh, gourmet. Some shit I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a bunch of Silicon Valley people, tech people living out there that make mm-hmm. millions of dollars. And they re- they drove up the price, ran out all the ethnic people, and you know pushed them into Oakland. And now they're pushing them out of Oakland. I don't know where they're gonna go. They have to go to like Vegas or something like that. I don't even know where where do you go? They push you out of you know out of there. California's big, but so I you're mean, trying to make it like a a private closed. No, no, it's just city? they they they're pricing people out of the out of there. You know, so we just want all rich people here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're if it's they're saying that, Probably. but that's yeah. what they. I mean, that's yeah. what the you know it is it is it is trending in the direction that if you you know if you don't make a million dollars a year, you can't even you can't even that have is a modest wild. you can't even have a modest like having it's it's to the point now where like making a million dollars a year isn't even that impressive. You live right. in like an okay house. So, but yeah, but I just thought you know the Robert Wood thing. I was like, I was like. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say something completely nice. different. No, but him just like Yes, yeah, he flipped on get, everybody. A hundred grand? And then back then you're telling me that's like almost half a million dollars? You know, the the, the number discrepancy? Oh yeah. You everybody's getting ratted on. Put me in PC, uh I will be at <laughs> send me to trial and make sure the money hit my hits my make sure the direct deposit hits. And I'll tell you whatever you need. I'll point to him. I'd have moved. moved. I'd have been out of there. Oh yeah, I'm moving Go. to the East Coast. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take my talents to the Southeast. Eat my chips. He did it. Yeah, him. Yeah, drip my soda. Yeah, no, it was all about it. <laughs> Circle the picture and everything. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. So that was the Golden Massacre. Oh, that was insane. Yeah, that was. Um, it was interesting to hear, like you said, um, a get a gang hearing gang activity from. It's not like people that look like us. But in this country, you know, so that was in, that was interesting to hear. Like Chinese gangs give it up the same as you know, yeah. the Bloods do. It's like I mean, some we're all the, out here hustling. Allies, some of the allies with the Bloods and the Crips oh, for sure, man. Hey, man, you know, but it's a list of it's all kinds of gangs. It's like it's shitload of names of of allies and rivals. Yeah. It's like yeah, damn man. street politics. Yeah, street politics is the same, man. It's insane. And California is a giant state, so plenty of places to be. You I know. don't want no parts of any of that. No, 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 no. I'm a civilian, but that's why I get to snitch on people. Uh, <laughs> if, if you get mad at me for snitching, you're talking to the wrong one. I'm just being a good Samaritan. I'll take my reward money. Thank you. Um, but with that being said, I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner and true crime friend, Phil Evans, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.